Bible's tonight, the book of 1 John, chapter 2, and looking at God's holy word tonight. Great to see you tonight. Uh, we'll be, of course, uh, uh, observing the Lord's Supper after uh, the uh, service or message, and looking at that. 1 John, chapter 2, verse 18. Little children, it is the last time... And as you have heard that Antichrist shall come, even now there are many Antichrists. Hereby we know that it is the last time. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would no doubt have continued with us. But they went out that they might be made manifest that they were not all of us. But you have an unction from the Holy One 
and you know all things. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this opportunity to share your word. May we look to you for strength and guidance and wisdom this evening. And knowing that whenever we leave here, we not only represent you, we represent our church, and we represent, uh, of course, what you've done in our lives and how you've changed our lives. Thank you for your, the blessed gift of salvation. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. I want to speak tonight on the simple uh, title, Living in the Last Days. You know, we definitely are living in the last days. And even then, in John's day, John, the writer of this book, thought he was living in the last days. You know, I've got a young, uh, my daughter in college, and, and we still got some expenses she's finishing up. But education is definitely costly. And I've got two more coming up, and many of you do too, have that you've either gotten through college or that you've helped somebody get through college. But you know, education is costly, but as one person said, ignorance is far more costly. And you know, we cannot remain ignorant. That just means simply not knowing that we are living in the end times. Now, I think that uh, obviously none of us know, not me, not anyone, only the Father in heaven, when Jesus Christ is coming back. He did tell us that we can watch for some things. Now, in our passage, we're going to get into uh, the, the word Antichrist, and it's found here in verse 18. John, the writer of this book, is the only one who uses this term antichrist you find it here in his, this book here and also in the book of revelation now did you know this the bible says there's going to be signs that the antichrist is going to come did you know that but we are not told to look for the antichrist are we we're told to look for the christ not the antichrist and so thinking about all this there there is a man and simply talking about uh, right now, I've heard it uh, from even back in the 80s when I first started studying prophecy, that the Antichrist could be alive. I remember the first time I thought about that, it scared me to death. You mean to tell me right now, living and breathing, there's a man that's going to be possessed of Satan himself. As one person said it, there is a beast of a man lurking on the side of the stage. But folks, in whatever amount of time in the future, he's going to get center stage. Center stage. The Bible says that he's going to be the Antichrist. Now, along all that, we're given signs about the Antichrist, but we're given more signs about when the Christ comes. Folks, over in the book of Second uh, Timothy, it says, Perilous times shall come. Folks, that's not true. Perilous times are already here. They're already here. You know, whenever that was penned, that was 2,000 years ago. And I, it very well, what could it be talking about the year 2013? Could it be talking about, I think it's talking about all these years. You know, a generation ago, Israel came into existence. And the Bible says to look up. He's coming. 
We're supposed to look for Jesus. And what we're going to do for just a little bit tonight, we're going to talk about that we need to be ready in the last days. We need to be thinking about, am I living in the last days? And I've often talked about, what is the practicality of this? Why should Brother Michael or any other preacher preach on the end times or the last days? You know, there's the intercession factor that we could consider tonight. And that is simply the intercession factor means it's talking about prayer. And you know, many people have their head in this old world when their knees need to be on the floor. Our head gets scattered about with everything going on, man. I, I've got to get involved in football. I've got to get involved in this. I've got to get involved in that. I've got to get involved in deer hunting. I've got to get involved in this recreation. My head is everywhere when my knees need to be on the floor. My knees in prayer, praying for my family, praying that I'd be the kind of dad that God wants me to be, the kind of husband I need to be. Am I leading my family the way I need to? You know, there's also uh, the soul winning factor. In other words, as I see the end times approaching, should I not pray more? Should I not tell other people about Jesus Christ? In our Bible study class, we were talking about witnessing, and we uh, uh, saw where a fellow shared the gospel with a fellow that never heard the gospel before and how excited he was to hear it. You know, if uh, <clears throat> we get involved in this life and people talk about, well, I'm planning for my future. I'm thinking about my education. Man, I'm thinking about who I'm going to get married to. Now that I'm married, I'm thinking about what, what am I going to do with the rest of my life. But folks, if all of our energy, if all of your and my energy is consumed by stuff on this earth, it's the same thing as rearranging the furniture on the deck of the Titanic. You're just moving furniture around on the deck of the Titanic. Well, what's going to be the ultimate outcome of that? It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if all we ever think about is this life. If all we ever do is think about what, what can I do for here? How can I have a better life here? Uh, Joel Olstein, the popular preacher down in Houston outside of Houston, the largest Protestant, well, I think the largest church in the United States of America. And uh, he's got a book out called Living Your Best Life Now. And folks, that's what the world wants. They want to live their best life now. But folks, our best life is coming. Did you follow that? That's the title of his book, Living Your Best Life Now. Well, folks, I don't want to, you know, I want to, that'd be fine to live a good life here, but our best life is coming. It's not going to be here. Okay? So, if, again, I don't want to rearrange the decks on the Titanic because it's all for no reason. There's nothing wrong with, uh, you know, John Harper, famous Baptist preacher, went down on the Titanic. His, I've got it in my office. I've got his biography. He led more people to Christ as the Titanic was sinking. He took off his life vest, handed it to a young lady, and all he could cry about was uh, repent and accept Jesus Christ as your Savior. And he, that's all he did. And he sank. He went to his death in, the, in that icy ocean that night, leading people to Jesus Christ. What a sacrifice. What a life. 
You know, if I'm going to be, again, what is the uh, purpose of studying the end times? To What is the purpose of sharing the gospel, the soul winning factor, the intercession factor? You know, instead of rearranging the furniture on the Titanic, we need to get people in the lifeboats. And the lifeboats, Jesus Christ. Also, the family preparation factor, getting our families founded on the Word of God. If I'm living in the end times, what's the most important thing? Not only telling people about Jesus, having my prayer life right, but do do my kids know the Word of God? Do, Do my friends, do they know where I stand? Do they know that I love Jesus? Have I told anybody lately about Jesus Christ? And also... You know, the comfort factor. A lot of us, you know, I've seen people like this. Every time something, uh, I call it the comfort factor. Why study the end times? Why do anything concerning Jesus Christ coming again? You know, uh, and I love the way one preacher put it. And he said it this way. You know, I, I remember getting especially when I was younger, getting all worked up. Man, what if Jesus Christ comes back? I've never been married. You know, and I wanted, at that time, I was just dating Karen. And I said, man, I want to marry Karen, and I want to have a family, and I want this, and I want that. And I asked Brother Don McCormick, I said, is, you know, and I know I'm saved, and I know I'm called to preach, and I know God's blessed me, but why am I feeling anxious, worried, scared about Jesus Christ coming back? It's the comfort. It makes me uncomfortable. You know, we look at the world and we say, well, number one, the flesh. That's all it was. My flesh wants to live. God designed your flesh to want to live. And number two, uh, one person said it this way. You know, we look, oh, man, look, look what the world is coming to when we need to have the attitude Look who's coming to the world. Look who's coming to the world. And that's Jesus Christ getting excited about His coming. And that's what we're going to be looking at tonight. So if we're going to be looking at this thing, first of all, let's look at the time. It says in verse 18 of our text, little children, it is the last time as you've heard that Antichrist shall come. We're living in the last times. You know, you don't have to turn over there, but Matthew chapter 24, verse 8 said, All these are the beginning of sorrows. All those end time things, all these are the beginning of sorrows. We know that that's birth pains. Why should it's time that we look for Jesus Christ returning? You know, we should be living for His coming. We should be looking for His coming and longing for His coming. All those things are real simple. Uh, let's do a real fly-through here, uh, and it'll be kind of in reverse. So First Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse 10. The Word of God says here, We need to wait for His Son from heaven whom He raised from the dead. That's our job. I'm looking, I'm longing, I'm living for Jesus Christ to come back. Backwards just a little bit, Philippians chapter 3. I'm just turning backwards a little bit. We'll go kind of in reverse here. Philippians chapter 3 and verse 20. Philippians chapter 3 and verse 20. It says, Our conversation is in heaven, from whence also we look for who? The Savior. That's what folks in that's the Bible says we're supposed to be looking for his return. I like that. That's a powerful verse. Uh, let's keep backing up. First uh, Corinthians 
chapter 1 and verse 7. It says, so that you come behind in no gift, waiting for the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. So we should be waiting for Him. So the first thing, the time. We live in those times. The next thing I want to call it, I want to call it the tyrant. The tyrant, the Antichrist is coming. Just like Jesus Christ is coming, uh, John calls this man the Antichrist. Uh, by the way, the Antichrist, let's just boil it down. Who or what is the Antichrist? The Bible says that Antichrist shall come. There is more than just one Antichrist. There's anybody who opposes Jesus Christ as an Antichrist. That's what the word means. But there is going to be a man that's going to be, according to Revelation, that's going to be possessed of Satan himself. He's going to be a man just like me and you. Did you know the Bible says that uh, Judas was possessed of Satan? He was, but that means he was an antichrist, but not the antichrist. The Bible mentions this. Uh, he's called this. What are some aliases? What are some other names of Antichrist. He's, he's called the son of perdition. He's called the man of sin. He's called the wicked one, the lawless one, the beast, which speaks of his ferocious nature. Uh, head, if you will, to Second Thessalonians chapter 2. Matter of fact, in uh, Billy Don's Sunday school class, we're in Second Thessalonians. Been looking, we'll get to chapter 2. I was telling one person, I said... Uh, I like the way one writer described it. I was looking at Second Thessalonians, as a matter of fact, the other day. It's got three chapters in it. The first chapter is kind of encouragement. The second chapter is meat. And uh, the third chapter is some encouragement. It's kind of like a sandwich, bread, meat, and bread. And uh, that's what Second uh, Thessalonians is. Guess where the meat is? The meat's in the middle. And so <clears throat> I've... Uh, I never did like those McDonald's Big Mac. Got a slice of bread in the middle of that thing with, uh, you know, just it's, the sandwich doesn't look right. I mean, just, bread's out of order there. But this sandwich right here, first, uh, Second Thessalonians chapter one's the bread, chapter two's the meat, chapter three is some more bread. But here's what it reads: Second Thessalonians two three, let no man deceive you by any means. For that day shall not come except there come a falling away first that the man of sin, that's what he's called here, and he's called two things in this passage, the son of perdition, that he's going to be revealed. You know, so he's, he's called these things. Now, this man, I want to go back to our text and uh, we'll go to, uh, back to, to 1 John. And we'll take a look at some uh, verse 19. First John chapter 2 and verse 19. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would no doubt have continued with us. But they went out, that they might be made manifest that they were not all of us. The, the Bible says that the Antichrist, the devil, who has many names, he does many things, and he can do this to groups of people, including churches. The Bible says that Satan is divisive. 
Did y'all know that? The Bible mentions that he won't, right here, he divides this group. Now, we know that this group wasn't saved because the next time he mentions the next verse, but you have an unction from the Holy Spirit, which means that you belong to the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's in your heart. And uh, somebody may be a lost church member. Well, that Satan can divide that away. As one person said it, the only time Satan can get in a church is if somebody brings him in. Also, so that's what the devil wants to do. Uh, would you consider this statement to be true? Uh, the devil not only wants to divide homes, he, or excuse me, churches, he wants to divide homes and families. I believe Satan, I mean, he loves it when a, a, a family gets divided up. And it can be divided up many ways. Uh, one of them, uh, you know, there's, uh, families can fall apart. Families, folks, if you're not drawn together, you're going to fall apart. And uh, the Word of God is a glue that can help families hold together. The Bible also mentions that, matter of fact, the word devil. Guess what? The, uh, if you were to say it uh, in Spanish, it would be Diablo. If you were to say it in Greek, which Greek's the first cousin of Spanish, you would say Diablos. And both words mean slander and accuser. Slander and accuser. So guess what the devil also is? The devil wants you to become one of his agents. He wants you to be, become one of his agents. And all you have to do to sign up to become an agent of his is to say, I don't mind running people down. I don't mind saying divisive things about other people. I don't mind saying things that are negative. I don't mind, you know, so anything that will cut, anything that will divide, anything that will be negative and tear people, cut people to the quick, then I'll sign up on his list and I'll be that way. So, you know, I need to say, well, whoa, 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 I don't need to, I need to guard. Matter of fact, how many verses are in the Bible concerning guarding what we say? Are there a bunch of them? There's a bunch of them. We got, the Bible says he that, and one of my favorites got it memorized, Proverbs 13, 3, says that he that keepeth his mouth keepeth his life, but he that openeth his lips wide shall have destruction. And uh, so I need to guard what I say. The Bible teaches that. The devil, he doesn't. He what? He's not shy about missing it. You know, in verse, I want to go back to 1 John chapter 2. In verse 20, we're still in our text, but you have an unction from the Holy Spirit. You know, right here, these are saved people, lost people in verse 19, saved people in verse 20. <clears throat> and then verse 21 through 23, that's concerning Satan being deceptive. Let's read it together. I have written unto you because you know not the truth, but because you know it and that no lie is of the truth. Who is a liar? But he that denieth that Jesus is the Christ. He is antichrist and denieth the Father and the Son. Whosoever denieth the Son, the same hath not the Father. But he that acknowledgeth the Son hath the Father also. All that means is, is if a, if a religion has describes Jesus as anything or a person, other than the Son of God, the one and only begotten Son of God, the Bible says that's a lie. It's a lie. You know, what's going to, uh, what is, you know, and I mentioned about the devil being 
not only divisive and devilish, but you know what? According to this right here, in figuring out the truth is and what the truth is. Matter of fact, who is a liar? Verse 22, but he that denieth that Jesus is the Christ. What? Whether you're talking about the devil working on Eve or the devil working on you or the devil working on one of your friends, what does the devil want to deceive you about? I'll tell you what the devil wants to deceive you about. The devil wants to deceive you about who Jesus is. He wants to deceive you about who you say, well, I know who Jesus is. Well, then he wants to deceive you about what he can do in your life. I can't, I can't, I can't, you know, I can't tell people about Jesus. I can't do this. I can't do that. My marriage can't hold together. I can't accomplish this goal. I don't know. But the Bible says, greater is he that's in you than he that is in the world. And we know that's talking about, of course, the devil. That's what he wants to deceive you about. And uh, let's head now to 1 John. This is how we do it. 1 John chapter 4. In verse 1. So you figure out, you know, what's out here in the world. <clears throat> How do I handle this? Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets are gone out into the world. Hereby know you the spirit of God. Every spirit that confesseth that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that confesseth not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is not of God. And this is what? The spirit of, again, Antichrist. That's what it says. You know, people that come to you misrepresenting Jesus. Uh, how many of you, everybody lift up your hands if this has happened to you. How many of you have ever had a Jehovah's Witness knock at your door? Okay. Hands down. How many of you have ever at your door or any other place uh, encountered a Mormon? Anybody encountered a Mormon? Well, the same way. Did you know they believe that Mormons, just off the cuff, uh, <clears throat> believe that uh, the uh, Satan and Jesus were brothers? Okay. And also that uh, Jehovah's Witnesses believe that Jesus Christ is not the one and only true Son of God co-existent, co-eternal, and co-one and the same. Folks, Jesus Christ is the Son of God and is God in the flesh. But they don't believe that. You know, and so many times we wonder what to do with them. A lot of times uh, people will, uh, and it says here, and matter of fact, if we skip down, just slide over it. Now, what do you do? The Bible says right here what to do with them. Uh, just flip over Second John and verse 7. Second, how do, what do you do with that? Somebody that comes to you proposing that Jesus Christ is something different. All right. For many deceivers are entered into the world. And who? Who confess not that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. This is a deceiver. And, and notice here it says it again. And an antichrist. It keeps popping up in John's writing, doesn't it? Look to yourselves that we lose not those things which we have wrought, but that we receive a full reward. Whosoever transgresseth and abideth not in the doctrine of Christ hath not God. He that abideth in the doctrine of Christ, and he, he hath both the Father and the Son. If there come any in unto you, and bring not this doctrine, receive him not into your house, neither bid him God's speed. For he that biddeth him God's speed is a partaker of his evil deeds. 
So somebody said one time, one time, I uh, I was talking to Jehovah's Witness, and it was hot outside. And I was telling my uh, church member, uh, one of my church members about, well, I said, well, y'all come on in here. I want to talk to y'all. He said, well, you were bidding them Godspeed. No, no. Actually, I was doing two things. Number one, I was uh, is deceptive maybe on my part, but I was trying to take up as much time as I could with them. <laughs> Number two, that way they couldn't mess with anybody else. Number two, I was trying to share with them about the true Son of God. And uh, bidding them Godspeed is causing a blessing to happen to them. And it's kind of like uh, one preacher said it this. It's kind of like, it's be like this. Uh, you know, whenever you meet somebody, don't, don't do this. As one preacher said, you wrap your arm around somebody, and we call it sloppy agape. Sloppy, and we, sloppy agape means this. Hey, you know, we're, you know, we're all working together to get to the same place. So we're all kind of working there to head that away. You believe your way and I believe my way, but that's what he's talking about. We're not on the same team. If they believe a different Jesus and they don't believe that Jesus is the Son of God, we're not on the same team. <laughs> we're not on the same team. If they have this way into heaven and I have this way into heaven, guess what? Two roads that are headed in opposite directions don't wind up in the same place. <laughs> So, you know, that's just it. That's what he's saying. Don't, don't say we're on the same team. Don't say that we're on the same page even. We're not. And uh, they can say they love God. I've uh, visited with Mormons before, and they have, it's all a play on words. And they'll say Jesus Christ is the Son of God. But actually, what was he before? Before he became the Son of God. Ah, uh, then you start running into a different opinion. Uh, about Mormonism, so uh, a lot of stuff that you could go to that. So none of that sloppy agape stuff. And then lastly, in closing, let's get back to our text, which is in First John chapter two. There's three things that we see in in three three verses. Real quick, verse twenty four. I'm in First John two twenty four. It says, "Let that therefore abide in you." What the truth which you've heard from the beginning. Look at verse 27. But the anointing which you've received of him abideth in you. In other words, Jesus Christ. And the very end of verse 27 says what? You, need, you shall abide in him. And then verse 28. And now, little children, abide in him. Abide just means remain and stand firm. There's one thing we need more today, and that's megadoses of the Word of God. We need to, the Spirit. Uh, we need the Holy Spirit to lead us and guide us. It says here uh, that unction from the Holy Spirit is our should be our guide. Somebody told me one time said, uh, "Well, Brother Michael, I'm saved." I know Jesus as my Savior. The Holy Spirit lives inside of me. But folks, listen to me very closely. Here's a big difference. There's a lot of people, and you may be one of them. You're saved, and the Holy Spirit is present in you. But the Bible, it doesn't stop with the Holy Spirit being present in you. The Holy Spirit needs to be present in you. Not present President, head, the main thing, 
the most important thing. There's a lot of saved people, but the Holy Spirit, or God, same one, God's Spirit in you, is He president of you? You know what I mean. Is He head of you? Is He Lord of you? He may be your Savior. There's a big difference between Savior and Lord, isn't there? Lord means master, over, head. He saved me. Let Him be your Lord. As we prepare for Him the invitation, I appreciate you listening to this message tonight on living in the last days. We are... You know, like I said, the Bible says perilous times shall come. I think they're already here. I mean, we live in a country that's accepting all sorts of immoral lifestyles. I only think it's going to get worse. Now, someone said, again, again, don't wring our hands and say, oh, my goodness, look what the world's coming to. We just seen we need to be the best witnesses we can be until he comes to the world. And be ready, be faithful. What does it say? Looking, longing, living for Him. Will we do that?